my dad was working that night, which meant I had to go with my mom to my older sister's cheerleading practice, and I absolutely hated going to my older sister's cheerleading practice. This was long before the days of iPads and iPhones. There was nothing, I, there was no way I could take a movie or a show to watch, so I was just stuck there, stuck with my imagination and being bored out of my mind on the bleachers while my sister and some of her friends had cheerleading practice. But on this night, on the way to cheerleading practice, all of a sudden the gas light in the car came on, which meant my mom had to drop my sister off at cheerleading practice, and then I would get to ride with my mom to the gas station, and then we would get back to cheerleading practice. Now, not that a trip to the gas station is any high, anybody's highlight point of their life, but it beat being stuck on the bleachers at a cheerleading practice I didn't want to have to be at. And so we got to the field, and we dropped my sister off for cheerleading practice, and I stayed in the car, and I rode with my mom on the way to the gas station. And as we were driving along, all of a sudden, the car started to, started to shake a little bit. It felt a little funny. And in an instant, my mom reached over, and she turned off the air conditioning and the radio and rolled down the windows as if that was going to salvage some massive amount of gasoline. And then the car just drifted off. As we drifted over to the side of the road, we'd run out of gas. She put on the, the hazard lights to the car. I grew up on the mean streets of Green, Ohio. Uh, basically, think Compton, California. It was nothing like that. Uh, direct opposite. And, and so we went up to the house, because this was before the days of cell phones, and we rang the doorbell, and we let them know, hey, we're the car that's that's out there. Can we use your phone to call my dad? So my mom calls my dad who took the call at work and I'm sure he was so excited that he left work and went to get a gas can and some gas and brought it to us by the side of the road and he, he put the gas that was in the gas, gas can into the gas tank. We fired up the car and we drove to the gas station. And on, the, on the way to the gas station, I looked over and I asked my mom, I said, Mom, we were only about a half a mile, a mile away from my grandparents' house. Why didn't we just call them? She said, you'll never speak a word of this to your grandparents. And if I was the person I am now, I'd have called them that night. But for some reason, I, I never did. I never did. But what's fascinating to me, as I think about it, is there we were in a car. And the car was, was perfectly fine. The car was capable of doing everything that the car needed to do. But without fuel, the car couldn't achieve what the car was supposed to achieve. This morning, we're going to continue our look at the New Testament book of 1 Peter. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app. It's a free resource that you can download in the app store of your choosing. And once you've downloaded and installed the Bible app on your device, there's a feature within the Bible app called Events. And once you're in the Events feature of the Bible app, enable your locations, and there Lakeside Community Church will pop up, and you can follow along with us this morning. If you have a traditional Bible with you, again, we're going to be in the New Testament book of 1 Peter. We're going to start in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. If you're joining us on the stream today, thank you so much for joining us. The verses will be available on the screen 
below. We're going to start in 1 Peter 2, verse 1, in just a minute. But before we do, I want to I just recap where we've been the last few weeks as we looked at 1 Peter chapter 1. And the first thing we saw when we looked at 1 Peter chapter 1 was this, that as people that follow Jesus, the best is yet to come. As people who've made the decision to follow Jesus, the best is yet to come. And we will experience aspects of God's blessing in this life and in the world in which we live now. But the ultimate blessing of a relationship with Jesus is going to be experienced with us in the life that is to come. The next thing we saw from 1 Peter chapter 1 is that as people that do follow Jesus, we have obligations, but that we shouldn't look at our obligations of living our lives for God and serving others as obligations, but rather as opportunities, that we should be excited about every chance we get to love God and to serve other people. And we shouldn't begrudgingly walk through our life of following Jesus, but instead we should view it as an incredible opportunity that it is. And then last week, as we wrapped up First Peter chapter 1, we saw the incredible price that God paid to purchase us, the incredible price that has been paid so that we could be followers of Jesus. When God sent his son Jesus to be the sacrifice for our sin, when he died on the cross to set us free, that we were bought, we were ransomed from the lives we knew and the lives we were living, we were ransomed to be followers of God through the sacrifice of his son Jesus. And so it's through that lens that we now build upon this in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 1 where we read these words. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Let me read that again. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Put this away. This is, these are aspects that were present in all of our lives. And the message to us who follow Jesus is this. Get rid of those things. Put those things away. Now, the fact that they're in our lives or have been in our lives doesn't mean that we're horrible people. It just means we're normal. These are the normal, these are normal aspects in every person's life. These things are present in our lives. And apart from a relationship with Jesus, these things are all normal. But now that we're followers of God, we've been told to put these things away. My wife and I have two boys. They're seven and nine. And so a constant theme around our house is put it away. It's a remarkable how many times a day we will have to say, put that away. Put it away. Pick up after yourself. Put something away. And, and there are different levels of cleaning, and you find this out with kids especially. There are different levels of cleaning. Sometimes the message when we tell them to put it away, what they hear is, I'm just going to consolidate all the junk that I have out in another spot of the house. I'm going to take it out of your view here, and I'm just going to set it over there, and we'll consolidate it all into a pile, as though just a massive pile is getting the job done of cleaning up. There's another step to, to putting away. And that's when they'll actually pick up the pile and either put it in the closet in their room or they'll put it into a toy box that we have. And then there's a third level of putting away. My favorite level. And that's garage sale level putting it away. That we get rid of this stuff once and for all. And some of you, have, you're following Jesus and you hear this message to, to put this away. 
And it's not enough just to consolidate it in another area of your life. It's not enough to just conceal it and only bring it out when you're around certain people. Or conceal it for for a certain situation or a certain moment. What God has called us to do is garage sale level. Get rid of this stuff once and for all. Make sure that it's nowhere in our lives. That we once and for all deal with these things that were part of us. But make it so that they're no longer part of us. It's not enough just to put them in one area. It's not enough just to hide them. What God has called us to do is get rid of them completely. To get rid of them. That's what God wants us to do. Now, let me be perfectly clear. That none of what we're going to talk about today saves us. We are incapable of earning our salvation. The only way we experience salvation is through God's grace to us, through the sacrifice of his son Jesus. His sacrifice for sin was once and for all, and it was complete. And we are granted the sacrifice of Jesus when we place our faith and trust in the work of Jesus, what he has accomplished for us by being the sacrifice for our sin, that he rose again three days later, and we put our hope and our trust in him. That is how we are ultimately saved. That's how we are ultimately followers of Jesus. So these things, aren't, we put this away to try to earn our standing with God. We put these things away to try to earn our salvation. That's already been accomplished once and for all. But these things are a result of what we have experienced. That because God has done this for us, the lives that we live are to honor Him. He's called us to put it away to clean up our lives, not to earn our salvation, but because of our salvation. Because of our salvation, we clean up our lives and we live for his glory. And he goes on, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. And we're given this this sobering reminder that when we make the decision to follow Jesus, we're babies. We're babies. And I know some people bristle at that because they're like, I'm I'm pretty capable of things. I've got got skills. I've got talents. I'm self-sufficient. And this idea that when we make the decision to follow Jesus, we're like newborn babies. A baby's dependent upon everyone for everything. And there's just this reminder that when we make the decision to follow God, we are brand new creations. And some people might be 40, 50, 60, 70 years old when they make the decision to follow Jesus. And so outwardly, they've got a lot of skills and a lot of competencies in their lives. But spiritually speaking, this is something that's brand new. And you're a baby. And there's this idea here that, again, As newborn infants long for the spiritual milk. As as somebody that's made the decision to follow Jesus, especially if this has been done recently in your life, long for spiritual truths, long for God's heart revealed to us in Scripture, long to understand God, long to, to discover the plan that God has for your life. Recognizing your dependency like a baby, fully dependent upon Him Longing for the pure spiritual milk. Now, I want to explain the last part of this because I want to be crystal clear about what Peter's getting at in the last part of verse 2. That by it you may grow up into salvation. We hear that 
grow up into salvation and think, oh, is this a maturing process? Is this something I have to do to earn my salvation? That I grow up into something? That, that there are markers that I have to meet? And that if I don't meet these markers, that I'm not ultimately a Christian? And that's not the point that he's getting at. The point that he's getting at when he talks about growing up into our salvation is that we would be spiritually mature, meaning that our our lives would act accordingly to the truth that is present within us, that our lives, when people look at our lives, they would see us and we would live in such a way that our lives would proclaim the message that we have believed. And that when people look at us, they would see salvation because when people look at us, they would see Jesus through us, how we live our lives, what we say, what we do, how we serve people, how we love people, how we follow after God. These would all be hallmarks. When people look at our lives, they would see the evidence of the faith that we possess. That it's obvious to them. It's obvious to them that we're followers of Jesus because the way our lives look. And then he just hammers this point home. In verse 3, when he writes this, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If indeed that you have tasted that the Lord is good. I want you to go back to your favorite meal. Maybe it was dessert. Maybe it was just a great steak. Maybe it was a a great stalk of asparagus because you love vegetables and I don't understand you, but whatever. Like, I want you to go back to that, like your favorite meal. Just the feeling you got when, when you took that, that bite and you couldn't wait for another bite because it was so delicious. It was so savory. It was so good. And Peter says, reminder, this is what it's like to follow Jesus. Reminder, this is what it's like to follow Jesus. And for people that made the decision to follow God long ago, and people that that are following Jesus, and you've been following Jesus for a number of years, sometimes it becomes habit. Sometimes it becomes routine. And, And this is just a reminder. Just snap out of that and remember how good, how amazing, and just how delicious it is when you live your life following after God. Remember what God has done in your life. Remember how he's transformed you. Remember how he's blessed you. Remember what he has done for you and taste that. Remember what it tastes like to experience this, to experience the Lord's goodness in your life. Don't grow, don't grow callous to that. But Remember how good it is. And as you come to him, a living stone Rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. As you come to him, a living stone. Last Sunday night, we had volunteer appreciation night. Thank you for all of of you who were able to make it out for that. Thank you to everybody who helped put that night together. It was a great night. We went with a a 70s theme. We did the acronym VAN, Volunteer Appreciation Night. So we went 70s theme, and we had all kinds of 70s nostalgia. And apparently, I didn't live through it, but apparently the 70s were a crazy time. And uh, one of the the things that, that we that we talked about was a little invention in, in 1975 that uh, you just kind of have to scratch your head towards uh, for those of us looking back. But in 1975, there was a, a major, a major uh, wave that ran through the country where people were getting a special kind of pet, a pet rock. 
Now, for those of you that didn't live in the 70s, this is real. And these are the, grain, the brainchild of Gary Dahl. And uh, he was brilliant because these went, over, went on to sell a couple million units. And it was literally a box with a rock in them. And there was a little instruction manual that would go with it. And it would talk about the benefits of your new pet rock. And some of you are looking at me like, I'm high right now. I didn't come up with it, all right? Like, I, 70s, again, we're, we're, I guess, an incredible time to live. But one of the features that they talked about in the brochure for the pet rock was the fact that this was a pet you would never have to say goodbye to because you would die. Uh, the rock wouldn't. The, you would die. We, we understand this about rocks. We understand that rocks they don't really have a, a lifespan, and we're told here the living stone. We're told that God is our rock, and we think about all the benefits and all the values of a rock, that rocks are strong, that rocks, rocks support things. Rocks are unmovable sometimes, and we think about God, and we think how incredible it is to have a God who is all-powerful. To have a God who is unmovable. To have a God who stays the same. And then we're told that God is all those things. But He's also very much alive. Which means God isn't just some distant deity who's all-powerful and, and doesn't move. He isn't just a distant deity that we can put our hope in in the fact that, that he's going to stay the same, but that he is living and he is all-powerful and he is unchanging and he loves us and he's invested in our lives and he knows what's going on. That God isn't just some distant deity out there, but he is very much alive and engaged. And he came to this world to sacrifice himself, to set us free. He was rejected by men. Jesus was rejected by men, but in the sight of God the Father, he was chosen and he was precious, that he is the living stone. God is our rock and he is very much alive, but Jesus was rejected by men. And the implications for us go on in verse 5 when we read these words. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So in the same way that God is our rock, all-powerful, unmovable, and He is alive, He has called us to be living stones, which means when we have a relationship with God, we don't have to be shaken by every situation and every circumstance we're going to experience in this life. That we can be rooted and we can be grounded. Because while we don't understand everything that's going on in the world, and while we don't ever understand everything that's going to come our way, we are secure in the fact that we have a God who is intimately aware of every detail of our lives, who is all-powerful, who is unmovable. And while we don't understand his plan and we don't understand why he doesn't intervene in every situation according to the way that we want him to intervene, nothing surprises him. 
and nothing that we encounter happens outside of his control. That we are to be rocks. We are to be strong and not easily moving by everything that we face. And that our lives are to be lived not in the fear of every situation, every circumstance that we encounter. But our lives are to be lived for God. This is the sacrifice that he desires. That our lives are to be spent loving and following God and loving and serving others. This is what our life is to look like. And so often, when all the circumstances and all the situations that come our way, when we allow our focus to be on our situations and our circumstances and focus more on them and less on the God who is more powerful than all of them, then what happens is worry and fear creep in. And we begin to wonder, how am I going to do this? And we lose sight of the fact of following after God. And we lose sight of the fact of loving and serving others. I don't know everything you're experiencing today. I don't know all the situations you face, but I promise you nothing has caught God by surprise. He loves you, and there is nothing that can happen to you outside of his control. And then just how important this is, the implications of the lives that we are to lead following after God and loving and serving one another. We get to verses 6 through 8. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Now, I want to break this apart because I understand there's a lot that's going on here. And Peter's going back to the prophets of the Old Testament who prophesied about the coming Messiah, the coming one who would save us that was fulfilled in Jesus. But remember, when the prophets were prophesying in the Old Testament, it's like when we look at a mountain range from off in a distance. And when we look at a mountain range, all we can see are glimpses of the mountains. That's all the prophets could see. They were given aspects, but they weren't given the full detail. When we look at mountains, all we see are the peaks. And then we don't see what's on the other side from a distance. And then we see another peak. And we can't see what's on the other side of that peak. Etc. And the same was true of the prophets. They were given incredible glimpses of the Messiah who would come, but they weren't given every single detail. And so Peter's, Peter's building off the prophets of the Old Testament, and he's quoting from them when he says, Behold, I am laying in Zion, Zion's Jerusalem, a cornerstone. Now, I recognize with everything that's going on with engineering and architecture and building codes and everything that goes on with that today, we don't really pay much attention to this idea of a cornerstone. But the cornerstone at this time was absolutely essential. The cornerstone was the stone in construction that would hold everything else in place. It would hold everything else together, and it would guide everything else in the project. The cornerstone set all the proper angles. So it was absolutely essential that everything else in the building project tied into the cornerstone. 
It was the foundation, and it set everything else up to be done as it should be. And what we're told here is that Jesus is that peace, that Jesus is the cornerstone. He is chosen, and he is precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That if you believe, you experience the life you were always designed to live with God at the forefront of your focus. If you believe in him, you belong to God. And the reason this is so essential is because we were originally designed by God to have a relationship with him. And sin messed everything up. But that doesn't change the way that we were designed. And we've seen countless examples of people who have achieved everything in life apart from a relationship with God. They've had business success after business success. The, the mansions that, that they, they acquire for themselves and the toys that they have the number of sexual partners that they have. You look at and you would think, oh, all of these things would lead to fulfillment. And yet what we're told time and again from all the people that have achieved all these things apart from a relationship with Jesus is it's never enough. And we've seen example after example after example of this, that they're always left wanting more. And the reason is because there is no way that success in business or a nicer house, or a different sexual partner is ever going to fill the void that is within us all for a relationship with our Creator. And what we are told here is that if we come to God through a relationship with Jesus, that void is filled. And the most important piece to the puzzle that is missing in our lives is now fulfilled. If you don't, if you don't, you'll always stumble. And your life will always be out of sync. Because you are missing the most important part of why you were created. And that is an intimate relationship with your creator. And there is nothing that will fill that apart from a relationship with him. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He says, but you, if you make the decision to follow after Jesus, you belong. You belong. And the most important thing that is ever missing from your life is now in place. You have that relationship, and you belong. This is what you are to do. And I'm fascinated by the number of people who walk through life and never allow the implications of this to resonate in their lives. That you have been chosen by God. You belong with Him. The implications for this in our lives are massive. So you're telling me on one hand that God sees me. He sees all that I've done. He knows all of my mistakes. And God chooses me and he says, you're on my team. On one hand. 
And on the other hand, Justin over here looks at me and he's like, nah, I don't really like you. And I'm supposed to care about Justin? How many times does the enemy come and make us focus on the people that don't like us? Make us focus on the people who don't understand us. Make us focus on the people who have something against us. And this isn't an invitation to be an arrogant jerk, but I just frankly, I don't really care about Justin because God says I belong with him. And my hope and my prayer for you is that you stop worrying about every single person who doesn't like you or every person who doesn't understand you and every person who says you're not enough or this doesn't make sense or I don't accept you. Stop giving them your time. Stop giving them your energy. Stop giving them your focus. And focus on the God who's called you. Focus on the God who says, you're on my side. You are part of what I'm doing. And I love you. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He said you had no belonging before, but that all changed. That all changed. And now you're part of God's community. And that's why community matters so much to us here at Lakeside. Community matters so much to us because every single person that's made the decision to follow after God is part of God's community. And we get to be an expression of that to one another. And if you're newer to Lakeside, we are so glad you're here. But I feel bad for you if you come in in the last couple years because of the pandemic and, and everything else. We haven't been able to fully operate accordingly to this. And I just want you to know we are, we are saying enough with that. And we've got some great things planned for this fall. We're going to have some men's events. We've got some women's events coming up starting in June. We're going to be relaunching an online church uh, platform for people to know one another, the online directory. And if you're like, oh, that's cool, but I've been in the directory for 10 years. No, you're not anymore. So we're taking you out of the directory, and we got to start over. And you're like, why? And I'll tell you why. Because number one, you don't look like you did 10 years ago. I'm sorry, you don't, all right? And number two... You've moved three times and haven't updated your address. You've given us a landline that nobody's had for the last six years. And your cell phone number's from 12 years ago, but you changed carriers three times. And in the span of 12 years, you changed cell phone numbers twice. Because until about five years ago, people didn't realize, oh, I can keep my number when I change providers and not have to send that, hey, update your contact number to everybody in my contact list and annoy them about having to update their contacts. So... Now everybody's pretty much figured that out, and that's great. But we have a cell phone number from you from seven years ago that when we call or text, people are like, yo, who's this? I have no idea what you're talking about. So what we're going to do in the month of June, and we recognize the community is important, but so is, so is people's information. In a day and age where people are trying to hack databases, in a day and age where people, where people want to sell your list to everything, here's what we're going to do. We're going to tell you, hey, we need you to start fresh, and you tell us what you want us to put out there. If you want to share an email address, we'll share an email address, but that's up to you. If you want to share a phone number, we'll share a phone number. The reason I tell you this is we're going to be relaunching all of this in the month of June. So we could use some help for that, but also at least one week in June, 
come where you wouldn't mind having your picture taken. And I'm not saying you don't look beautiful every week, but I'm just saying if you ever have taken a selfie that's turned into 20 selfies before you find the one that you can then run through the filter before you can then post to social media, I'm just giving you some advance notice, all right? Just come one week where you wouldn't mind having your picture taken. And why are we doing this? Because I want every person that calls Lakeside home to know that they're loved by God first and foremost. But secondly, that they're loved by, by others. That when you have surgery coming up, you know people are going to be praying for you. And you don't have to worry about food for the next week. Because your community's taking care of that for you. That we're there to celebrate your promotion at work. We're there to celebrate your graduation. And we're there to hold you when times are tough. I experienced this firsthand last year. And from the bottom of my heart, I will never be able to express the appreciation and the love that my family and I have for the people of Lakeside who rallied around us and helped us through some of the most difficult days that we've experienced. And I want everyone to experience that love. I want everyone to experience that community. And that's my commitment to you. That if you're part of Lakeside, if you're part of this community, that's what you're going to experience. Not because Lakeside's some incredible place. I mean, we want to be, but because the God we serve is incredible. And he's called us to follow him and to love one another. And that's going to be our aim. That's going to be our goal. So I hope you'll be part of that. And I hope you'll help us get it accomplished in the month of June. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. You live in the tension. And as you find yourselves in your various situations, live according to your belonging. Live according to who you are in Jesus. There are going to be things that you want to do that aren't God-honoring. And he just says, live according to your belonging. Live for God. Follow Him first and foremost. Follow God, love, and serve other people. We all have it. The battle between what we should do and what we want to do. And when we find ourselves there in that tension, he says, choose God. Choose God. Follow him. And keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of your visitation. Do what's right, not because it will save you, but because you have been saved and because you have the opportunity to point people to Jesus in the way you live your life. And notice what he says. He doesn't say, hey, there's a chance that some people aren't going to understand you. There's a chance that some people aren't going to like you. And there's a chance some people are going to say some pretty nasty things about you. It's not what he says at all. He says, when they speak evil against you, you will be misunderstood. There will be people that don't like you. There will be people that reject you. But live your life in the way you should. Drown out the noise and do what's right. So that when those very people who say wicked things about you look at your life, 
they not only see you, but they can't help but see Jesus through you. Put it away. Don't just consolidate it. Don't just conceal it. Get rid of it. Get rid of those things in your life that you know you need to get rid of. And if you're like, man, I, I have some trouble knowing if, if I need to get rid of something, ask your wife. <laughs> Serious. <laughs> ask your kids. Ask your best friend. They'll tell you. And live your life for Jesus. Not because you can do enough to earn your salvation. He's already, he's already provided that for you. But as a response to that, you will be misunderstood. But when you follow after him, when you love and serve one another, you recognize that being misunderstood is just an opportunity for you to show Jesus even to those that misunderstand you. And that's what he called us to do. God, I pray that we would be people that honor you with our lives. I pray that we would drown out the noise. We wouldn't live worried about what everybody thinks about us, or that if we're misunderstood, or that some people don't accept us, Instead, God, we would be reminded of who we are as a result of our relationship with you. And that would be what guides us. I pray, Jesus, that we would be people that do take a look at our lives and we would honor you with, with how we live them. And they would be a reflection of the hope that's within us as a result of our faith in you. God, that we would love and serve one another. And the lakeside would be a place that every person that calls lakeside home would know that they belong. Would know that they're not alone. Would have people that rally around them, support them, pray for them, encourage them. Celebrate with them and mourn with them. God, that's what you've called us to be, is your community. And I pray we will be just that. And that our lives will glorify you in the process. It's in your name, Jesus, we do pray.